0: Hello and welcome again to the famous CFC podcast where each episode explores a different story from Chelsea's rich and marvellous history. My name is Gary Brown, and I'm joined, as usual, by club historian Rick Glanville. Hi, mate. Hi, mate. Well, Rick, when it mm. comes to football and rivalries, what team do you <laughs> most want to beat? And I know you want to beat all of them, but if you had to <laughs> choose one, who would it be? Well, seeing as I was born like half a mile from their ground...
1: And most of my dad's family supported them. I do love. Oh, and also going to school in North London, and they're surrounded by their supporters. I do love to be a bit of Arsenal.
0: Arsenal. Oh, well, funny enough, <laughs> this episode will be the first of a strand about how our, our historic rivals. And to kick off in timely fashion, as we are playing them next weekend, we'll be investigating our relationship with the Red Side of North London. A show we'll be calling the Arsenal Roast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Gary, well, are they your team you most love to beat or are they not uh, way down the list? They probably are, but
0: the team I want to beat is always the team we're going to play next. Oh, politician's answer. When there's not a game, Arsenal, yeah. When when I was young, my dad used to say, oh, playing Arsenal was like going to the MCC. I used to think Marvel Arsenal... Wolves. It was like the establishment, and it was like the people who were somehow above us, and he resented that. And I've maybe picked up one or two of his thoughts on that as well over the years. It just sounds like a load of
1: marble halls to me, mate.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so much round memories. Don't the facts show, though, Rick, and you've got to be honest here, that they are much more successful than we are? That's what they told us, didn't they? When we were young, I think that was certainly true, but
1: it does depend how you slice it. I mean, for example... We've won 28 major pieces of silverware since World War Two, And Arsenal have won, how many do you reckon? 22. So, it? So quite substantially more.
0: And that is going back a long time, isn't it, World War II? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before I just time. remember, they used to take the mickey out of us only winning the league in the 50s, and it yes. seemed unfair to go back that far then. But if we based it on the total of the past 20 years, we won 16 major trophies and they have won nine. But how would you characterise the wide history between the two clubs?
1: Well, what I think is fascinating, actually, uh, is how the fates of these two big London rivals have, have been so intertwined, and especially in terms of things like, uh, obviously, we've, we've played each other regularly, but in major finals, you know, important matches at, at home and abroad. Um, but like sort of star-crossed lovers, you might say, in terms of innovation, and I'm not talking about today, but through much of our history, because, uh, for example, you know, what I mean is that they keep cropping up again. It's always them kind of thing. So the biggest crowd that we ever attracted to Stamford Bridge in 1935 was against Arsenal.
0: This is the Gomont British News, presenting the world to the world. Seats on the touchline and newspapers to sit on were the order of the day when Arsenal visited Stamford Bridge, taking the field first for their match against Chelsea. A crowd of nearly 83,000 watched the game, breaking a record for the ground that has stood since 1911. Chelsea found the long passing of the league champions very much to their taste and kept the Highbury team hard-pressed most of the time.
1: In the 1920s, when they were introduced in the offside law that we kind of live with today, pretty much, in the 1920s, two teams were asked to do trial matches of different approaches to the new offside, and those two teams were Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, A little bit later than that, 1928, two teams introduced shirt numbers, numbers on the backs of shirts, to English football. Those two teams were Arsenal and Chelsea. And um, even our chairman gave them the idea for their famous white sleeves so we gave them something for nothing. There, that's
0: very generous of us, wasn't it? <laughs> so, so many of our key moments have been shared with the Gunners, and we'll discover this later. But does it go all the way back to our earliest days in 1905?
1: What, well, absolutely. Um, and in some ways, they're sort of indirectly responsible for our creation because back in 1905, when we were founded, the uh, the directors who founded this ambitious uh, new club in English football, I think that they were at least partially inspired by the way that Arsenal, who were uh, already well-established in football, were doing things wrongly at the time. And I think that it was looking at their failure that probably inspired the Chelsea directors to recognise that there was a pretty much untapped commercial opportunity for a football league team in London. How do you mean exactly? Well, uh, put it like this. Uh, up to 1913, as a lot of people know, um, Arsenal, well, well that's, uh, that's when Arsenal moved to Highbury in North London. But prior to that, they were based in South East London, Plumstead, um, with a small, inaccessible stadium bad transport links and getting... Uh, quite small attendances and old ground, not having any success really, and um, subsequently financial problems that meant they always sold their best players. Now, that's not the way to run a football club. And I think the Chelsea founders recognised that because when they took over the old athletics ground at Stamford Bridge in 1905, they must have spotted that, unlike Plumstead, Stamford Bridge had training underground stations near you know, overground and underground stations nearby, was already known as a sports venue and attracted crowds, but had they built a huge capacity ground there. And the directors knew that what they needed to do to fill the ground was to sign players who were big box office. Um, And I think they felt that the huge population of the metropolis, London, was there for the taking. And I think that Chelsea and Arsenal fought over that ever since with interlopers like, you know, Tottenham and QPR and others uh, in between. But interestingly, down the years, when either club, Chelsea or Arsenal, has been the top dog in London, it's also
0: coincided with a period of dominance of um, major silverware, too. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in recent decades. But going back to say 1907, Arsenal are already in Division One when Chelsea were promoted there from Division Two.
1: Yep, correct. And um, our average home attendance in that first top flight season campaign, 1907, 1908, was more than twice what the Gunners were attracting. So we were getting, we got over 30,000 average attendance for our home gates uh, compared to 13,300 or so for them. And actually, we stayed the bigger draw of the two clubs. We were the bigger draw uh, every season after that until 1922-23. Um, so we were the first London club to break the 30,000 average crowd mark. And uh, and then 40,000 too when we did that in 1919, 19, 19 uh, 20. I mean, so the directors, the Chelsea directors were right that London was hungry for football and... That um Arsenal were not providing that. And that's when we first met, Woolwich Arsenal. <laughs> yes, they were they changed their name a few times over the years. They were known as known as Woolwich uh in the early days, and then then um were well, original well, Dal Square, Royal Arsenal, Woolwich Arsenal, the Arsenal, Arsenal. Um but the key thing about this rivalry is that um Chelsea Arsenal in November 1907. At Stamford Bridge was actually the first ever and uh, of this longest running top flight London derby with, uh, that we, we know and love. And um, thankfully, we won that first derby 2 1. And uh, it was our pal from podcast number four, George Hilsdon, Gatling Gun, who uh, gave Arsenal the treatment with both goals. And this was uh, just to give you an idea how novel this was for London being the first top flight London derby. It was hugely hyped in all newspapers, even non, even national newspapers, in recognition of this being like the battle of the capital. And it was, uh, as a result, 55,000 crowd turned up, which was huge, huge for the time. And um, And
0: it was great that we drew first blood. Yeah. Anyway, you mentioned Arsenal had weak crowds, were were selling star players to stay afloat. Lovely, isn't that? Not challenging for the league, Mm. but they had a real schemer in charge in the infamous Henry Norris. (laughs) Yes.
1: Football scoundrel, I like to call him, Henry Norris. Um, He tried, because they were not doing very well, he tried to secretly to consolidate the loss-making Arsenal into the other club, he owned Fulham, but he was unsuccessful. So, if he was successful, there would be no Arsenal, correct? Or no well, Fulham. Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't move them to. Who would move a club to, to uh, another part of
0: London and call it Arsenal? <laughs> no, do, that, that's never going to do, gonna do happen such it? a thing. <laughs> anyway, so instead of a merger, he upsticked from Plumstead to Islington in 1913.
1: Yep, that's right, and this was hugely controversial. And another. Uh, moment that the or the really the first moment that the two clubs crossed swords outside of a football pitch because um the location that Norris identified was in Eastlington Hybr- the hybrid part of Eastlington in North London and the two teams who were most if you like geographically threatened by that move were Tottenham and Orient they were the closest Stadiums to the, where the proposed new location was going to be. So Tottenham and Orient uh, requested the FA and the Football League block this encroachment on their patch as they saw it. And Chelsea, without being signatories, let it be known that they supported uh, Tottenham's
0: and Orient's uh, objections to it. Yeah, I know Orient fans are still incredibly bitter about this, even to <laughs> the point. But oh, it, it, all went, it all went yeah. through, and in fairness, it did prove the making of them. But Certainly that wasn't did. Norris's only piece of trickery, was it, Eric? Eh, Rick? Uh, no,
1: no, it wasn't. And but you're right about Highbury from 1913, it, it did it did change their fortunes completely. But back to Norris. Um, so let's go to 1919. So we're just coming out of the first world war, regular national football, which had been suspended during the conflict resumes and the football league decide they're going to expand division one uh, so that it's going to go from 20 clubs to 22 clubs so what they decide to do is well there were two teams that should have been promoted in 1914-1915 and they're they're put in there but to expand it to 22 they say well we need two other clubs really so let's look at the ones that were relegated in 1915 Okay, one of which was Chelsea Football Club, and there's a kind of diplomatic consolation for the way we had been relegated before World War One intervened, uh, in that we were we were put back in Division One in 1919, and the reason for, for the reason there was sympathy for it was that, and this is what Claude Kirby, who was chairman of Chelsea Football Club. He wrote to the Football League demanding Chelsea be reinstated in view of the fact that the Liverpool and Man United players, and this is well documented, had conspired to fix a game that helped us finish 19th in 1914-1915. Liverpool's chairman, uh, perhaps with a sense of guilt, publicly agreed. And so it came to pass that we were
0: reinstated. It's um, it's very strange. And, and obviously, I, I don't know whether the gap of the First World War actually made it easier to push through this bit of shenanigans. Yes. But just to, just to get it straight in my head, Division yeah. 1 went from 20 teams to 22, with the two clubs from the Division 2 promoted. Yeah. Chelsea, who finished 19th reinstated, but Tottenham, who finished 20th <laughs> in 1915, lost out to Arsenal. I mean, what, what's that about? <laughs> this is where Henry Norris is... Machiavellian
1: skills come in because it appears that he had some kind of influence on, on proceedings. Now, in 1914-15, Arsenal had finished fifth in the second division. They'd actually been relegated in 1912-13. So they finished they finished fifth, They're outside of the promotion places. But it seems that Norris, we don't know what kind of influence he yielded amongst uh, the... Uh, other chairman or owners of the clubs, but he was the one who forced it through. And the same Liverpool chairman who said about Chelsea uh, should be reinstated because of what had gone on, you know, this corrupt match, uh, announced that Arsenal should be the ones that's replaced, or uh, uh, reinstated, and um, not Tottenham. It's a really strange occurrence and... I think Tottenham fans are still angry about that. Not only that, but it's given rise to this myth that Arsenal have never been relegated.
0: Well, they have, as I've just pointed out. They were relegated in 1912-13. Okay, so it almost makes me feel a little bit sorry for Spurs. (laughs) Easy tiger. There's a lot of feeling I'm used to, Rick. This is quite weird. (laughs) Hey, guys. Friendly editor Jake, we're going to jump to the ads real quick, and then we'll be back. More about Arsenal's dismay. More about Chelsea's Hooray. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, then there was another little milestone that year as well, wasn't there, for Arsenal? Yeah, I
1: I, I mentioned to you that they changed their name by deed poll regularly, like Lord Lucan, I suppose. And, um, yeah, in 1919, they changed their name from the Arsenal. You hear Arsenal fans, older ones, to give a kind of stamp of heritage to what they're saying, say the Arsenal come on the arse you hear them say that, don't you? But they actually changed it in 1919 to plain old Arsenal. And we were the first team to play them under that new moniker on 6th of December 1919. And in fact, in those days, the way the fixtures worked is you played teams back to back. So we played them, we were the team to, we twice played them under that uh, new name before anyone else. But the other thing about it is that we beat them. We drew 1 1 and then beat them at the bridge in in front of a big crowd. And um, it's worth pointing out that we regularly finished above Arsenal in the top flight back then.
0: Yeah, but with that move to Highbury and the financial security, Mm. Arsenal gained the upper hand in the late 20s, didn't they?
1: Well, Well, you know, when you study our history, there are several catastrophic moments. I would say, uh, well, we could have really established ourselves uh, among the elite for decades. Uh, you know, one of the big ones is always the fact that we allowed the Football League to bully us into turning down, entering the first Champions League in 1955 when we'd been at all the setup up meetings and were on committees and everything. Um, but the other one, I think, is our relegation in 1924 which is probably the worst timed when I look back on it of any of our several relegations that we've had because uh, we only finished one point behind Arsenal that year but whereas they we were on different trajectories after that Arsenal were going up and we were going down and we were in the wilderness for six years and that's when our reputation for a glamorous underachievement became really fixed in, really died in the wool. And
0: Arsenal, as I said, went in a different direction. Yeah, that, that underachieving, that, that lasted, that reputation lasted a hell of a long time, didn't Decades. it? Decades.
1: We were still, even 60s and 70s people yeah, talked
0: absolute. about it, inconsistency. Um, we didn't get promoted again until 1930, but the 30s really did belong to the Gunners, with them winning the league five times um, but there were still a couple of club connections again. Yeah,
1: in 1934, as I sort of briefly touched on, um, our chairman Claude Kirby basically invented Arsenal's famous kit, you know, with the contrast sleeves. That was um, he'd been playing golf with a cartoonist called Tom Webster. Uh he's Tom Webster's cartoons appeared in newspapers and on the front cover of the Chelsea program. Uh and Tom was wearing, a to play golf, he was wearing a white long sleeve shirt with a sleeveless blue pullover. So the blue was on his chest and his arms were white. And Kirby was struck by the contrast and thought it quite stylish. And he actually put it to Chelsea's board that we should adopt white sleeves with a royal blue middle. Uh, but our board were having none of it. Instead, um, Arsenal's secretary manager, Herbert Chapman, one of the their most iconic uh, uh, managers in their history, he heard about the idea, and he had no problem about forcing it through with the directors, and that's how Arsenal's famous red and white
0: jersey was born. Wow, I didn't know that. And then on the twelfth of October, nineteen thirty-five, Arsenal were the visitors again when we set was then a record league attendance of. 82,905.
1: Yeah, and Arsenal's all-time record is 73,295. So quite a a big difference. But that game, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there's a wonderful painting done by Charles Gundle of that moment, taken from a vantage point at the back of what is now the the, (laughs) uh, Matthew Harding end. Um, But then was just this huge open bowl with... Uh, eighty, nearly eighty-three thousand people crammed into it. Um, I have to say though, Charles Condon made a mistake. He painted 11, uh, 12 Chelsea players, <laughs> which maybe we were using that extra man to draw one-one with them.
0: Joe Bambridge. Maybe they're just door. moving around too much. You couldn't pick up with them. <laughs> exactly exactly what formation are they playing?
1: <laughs> I, I thought it was about that, but maybe Todd Bowley was right after all with the four-four-three. But um. Um, the that record, unfortunately, that was the the, the national record for a, cl- a club match, um, you know, a club league league match. But it's been overtaken several times since. I think Man City overtook it about ten years later, and Tottenham have done so uh, recently at um, Wembley. But uh, as I said, Arsenal's all-time
0: record was seventy-three thousand two hundred ninety-five from the previous season. We're moving on to 1954-55 when Chelsea were crowned champions with an ex arsenal striker, Ted Drake, as manager. And here's the man who did it, Ted Drake, the manager, the unyielding coach, the welder of team spirit. Ted, Roy Bentley and the rest of the first team in the first division. Well done, Chelsea. But surely his old club won it more times than us in that decade.
1: (laughs) Trick question. (laughs) I'm sure you know the answer. Don't believe the hype. Uh they won the league once in the 1950s, in 1952, 1953, same as us. And uh and but going slightly after that, I mean that was these were real kind of big matches always. And Chelsea and Arsenal were, were the two big glamour clubs. But moving into the 60s, which is when you and I sort of started to to go. We definitely had the
0: upper hand in encounters then. Yeah, now you're talking. I remember Bobby Tamming scoring four at Highbury to cut off their title hopes in March 64.
1: Yeah, and this people don't realise that we had this magnificent record against them. Uh, like in 20 meetings between November 1959 and April 1971, we enjoyed 16 wins, 16 out of 20. Just two defeats and a couple of draws. And we scored against them 49
0: goals an average of almost two and a half per game. I mean, that really was a golden age against the Gooners. Very, very impressive. I do like those figures. Anyway, in the 70s, we were more evenly matched, although they won the double and the number at FA Cup. And we had to settle for the FA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup. In the 80s, they won the league, a league cup, whereas we were up and down, settling for the full members' cup. What a day that was! But things started <laughs> to realign again in the 1990s, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and um, and Chelsea's rise actually from the mid 90s, I think, really put those the Marble Hall's noses out of joint. I think they thought that they were the, the kind of the natural uh club of London power, and all of a sudden. To make a metaphor, we became a thorn in their sides. I mean, we were the first team to beat them in that 89-90 season when they just won the league at Anfield, famously. Won 1-0 at Highbury in March. And then we were the literally the only side to take three points off them in February 1991. A 2-1 two, uh, two
0: one at home, do you remember that one? I do indeed, Kerry Dixon winner.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Then it was what is his late equaliser in 1996 and then uh, oh how can i forget nigel spatman lamping martin keon 94 95 um you know there was we were actually going uh, although we had a kind of inferiority complex i felt um and that was partly because they would shout something like you know things like let's all laugh at Chelsea I remember do you remember that sequence of matches I do indeed in 1998
0: when uh, we were pretty much it was humiliating do you remember yeah well in that time in 98 we played them twice twice in quick succession and the fans were chanting that and it was quite depressing and that was the end of rude Hood's reign of course but what a turnaround we had with his successor Gianluca Biali
1: yeah yeah I remember boot was on the other foot. It was, let's all laugh at Arsenal because um, Vialli's first match in charge was that second leg of the League Cup semi-final that we'd re- we'd lost the first leg recently at Highbury, as we are just talking about. And uh, so in February 1998, he takes over. And if you remember, he handed out glasses of champagne before the kickoff at the bridge. We didn't know that. He didn't share it with us in the no, in stands. <laughs> You know, Arsenal back then were a huge team, physically imposing, and could beat opponents really in a tunnel, couldn't they? But yeah. we went out and actually took them apart. And what an absolutely riveting, magnetic atmosphere that night! And we won three one and uh, and reached the final. So and we won th- the final <laughs> and won the final exactly. But that was that felt like a, a little bit of a uh, you know. We were on kind of level pegging
0: with them, I felt then at that, at that time. And we were able to throw their jives back at them. I certainly think we were because later on in that year, in the same competition, in fact, I think it was in November, we won 5 0 at Highbury in, in the League Cup. Following and season, it,
1: that's correct. Yeah.
0: The, yeah, it was the following season. And I remember that unbelievable, um, <laughs> if I can't get the words out, that unbelievable <laughs> 1 2 between Viali and, and Goldback. Oh, so yes. 1 2 for the second <laughs> goal. Yeah, I mean th- these were
1: they were thrilling games, and and to beat that's I think that's their record home defeat in the competition. Still, um, you know, another one of those quirks that pop up. <clears throat> but in the mix, we have to mention Carnu's comeback hat trick, a game I'm still receiving counselling about. Their uh, fluky fallback goals from Winterburn and uh, Silvino and the 2000 FA Cup. 2002 FA Cup fun in Cardiff and at the infamous it's only Ray Parler line where they beat us Yeah,
0: no, Don't worry, it's only Ray Parler um, <laughs> the, the, the pain, the pain lives on <laughs> yes, exactly. And that long trip back from Cardiff with our tails between our legs But in uh-huh. fairness, the tables really turned in the mid-2000s They didn't like Chelsea finally, but, Sorry, they didn't like it but Chelsea finally invested in top players under yes. Roman Abramovich and Vice-Chairman David Dean, he claimed that we parked tents on the lawn and were firing £50 pound notes at them.
1: Yeah, I think we really... That was a time you knew that we'd really got to them, that they were rattled. And for me, there was also something very symbolic uh, about our soon after that, our 2004 Champions League victory at Highbury, when, you know, Wayne Bridge scored the winner. What a brilliant night that was.
0: Bridge! Wayne Bridge can win it! He has! It has
1: been coming! And Wayne Bridge has put Chelsea into the
0: semi-finals of the Champions League. Neat one-two. No chance for Lehman. Uh,
1: we won 2-1. And it felt like the change of the guard in London, I felt then. Um, and it meant that we picked them to become the first London team to reach a European Cup semi-final. And then we won the Premier League the following season. So it felt like. Uh, you know, the fact that 2004 is the last time that they've won the league, and we've won it several times since then. There was definitely a kind of change in the guard there.
0: Absolutely, and that leads on to another theme: the feud between Mourinho and Wenger. Wenger
1: complaining uh, is normal.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, <laughs> this is another long-running thing, wasn't it? You know, both times that. Uh, José was with us. They were going hammer and songs. It was fun but unedifying, really. If you remember, in October 2005, Venga was always slagging off José's tactical approach, and José responded with the voyeur gi- gibe. Do you remember? Jose, that um, there's a word in English for this. Even no, though it's French, uh, for people that keep looking through binoculars at their neighbour, and that's what uh, José was implying. That is too busy looking at our business and not taking care of his own. And then there was the stuff Wenger came out with about financial doping, uh, you know, alluding to Abramovich's money. And then Jose's line was, well, maybe Wenger should explain to Arsenal supporters how he cannot win a single little little trophy since 2005. And then he said about, oh, he's a specialist in failure. Do you remember that?
0: I do remember that. Um, the, the, the press were a little bit on Arsenal's side over that. But in fairness, we did like ruining Wenger's days, didn't we? Oh, especially a match milestone. Remember, wow. it was his
1: thousandth game in charge, and it was all hyped up. Oh, the Professor, it's his thousandth game, and we thrashed them 6-0. I mean, happy anniversary, Arsene.
0: Absolutely. But also, we do know how much it grieves them that we were the first and the only London club to win the Champions League, and in fact, we won it a second time as well.
1: Oh, as we know, Gary, Europe is Arsenal's kryptonite. Uh, we've also won the Super Cup, the Club World Cup, and all. Major, you for trophies twice.
0: They have mere two overseas titles to their name. I'm not even sure that is truly elite level. Are you? I don't think so. Anyway, we could go on. Sensational moments against them with Drogba, Hazard, or Essien were unstoppable. And still, and headed yeah. down. Oh my goodness me! Comes out to Essien. Oh my goodness. What an unbelievable strike. And drop that! Advantage, Chelsea! Or the 4-1 final in Baku, in which Giroud said, thank you, Arsenal.
1: Thank you, Arsenal. Thank you, Arsenal!
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what I particularly love was,
1: we recently, I think it was last season, passed 600 Premier League victories, uh, which is a really big milestone, and that was before Arsenal did it. In fact, we were a only the second club to do it after Man United by the way but to me we've been talking about consistency over a a period of time 600 Premier League victories being the second team to do that that's a landmark and it shows quality and consistency over three decades that's brilliant
0: Okay, Rick quick question for you as Gooners used to sing
1: you won the league in black and white white. you won the league in black black and white You won won the league
0: league in in the the fifties. You won won the league in back and white. I think we're slightly out of tune now, but they last (laughs) won the league in 2004... ...before the digital switchover started in the UK. (laughs) So can we sing... You won the league (laughs) in analogue. You won the league in analogue. You won the league with no pixels. You are the league in, in I love it. I love it. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be signed up for Eurovision, but nonetheless. Well, Gary,
1: that was our Arsenal roast. I'm sure we'll be roasting a few more rivals in the future.
0: You've been listening to the Famous CFC Podcast with me, Gary Barone, and him, Rick Glanville. If you liked it, please tell your friends and family, rate us and subscribe on whichever app you're using and help us promote Chelsea's heritage. In the meantime, play up, pensioners. See ya. Come on, you blues.